We're in Genesis uh, chapter 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep just looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother, the rest of you will be kept in prison, so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them in, all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison, while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, Did I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. All this was done for them. They loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, the man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, we are honest men, we are not spies. We were 12 brothers, sons of one father. 
One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is lord over the land said to us, This is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me, and take food for your starving households, and go. But bring your youngest brother to me, so I will know that you are not spies, but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you, and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care, and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my grey head down to the grave in sorrow. Thank you so much for reading, Kath. Let me pray as we look at these words together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your word speaks life to us. Thank you that your word brings light to us as well. As we think about some difficult things this morning, we pray that your spirit would penetrate your word into the deepest parts of our hearts, that we would become the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. We had a break last week from um, Genesis, but if you remember, back in chapter 41, things ended on a high for Joseph. His up and down journey finally ended on and up. He was made second in command of the whole Egyptian empire. He had saved the world from famine. And you think, wouldn't you, if you were writing this, you'd probably end the story there. Someone said, if you want happy endings to a story, end the story sooner rather than later. Someone famous said that, I think. And you could end it there. It's a fitting end. All the world came to Joseph. All the world was saved. But actually, here's what's important. If Joseph saved the world, but he failed to save his family, then actually all the world is lost. Look at 42 verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there, buy some for us, so that we may live and not die. Jacob is saying to his grown sons, if we don't do something, we are going to die. And if Jacob and his sons are lost, the world is lost. Let me put it another way. If Jacob and his family end in oblivion, your life would end in oblivion. Why? Because the promise to put all things right... The promise to ultimately reverse death and reverse all that is wrong with this world, that promise is tied to one family, Israel. It's why Jacob is called Israel in verse 5, the name that points to the promise. Lose Israel, lose the promises. If Jacob and his family die, you and I would die. So Joseph is risen and reigning, but that is not the end of the story. It is just the beginning. Can he save his family? Think about that. 
God, first of all, convicts us so that he can save us. Have a look at verse 3. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob didn't send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Jacob is, is failing to learn his lesson. First, Joseph was his favorite son. That divided the family. Now he's made Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, his favorite. That is going to cause some problems later on. And it means just only 10 of the brothers head down to Egypt to buy grain. They come before Joseph, verse 7. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where'd you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Interesting kind of power dynamic, isn't it? Very different to how it was in chapter 37. Joseph is now the one in a position of power over his brothers, not only because he has this authority as the governor, the second in command of Egypt, but because he knows something that they don't. He knows who they are. They don't know who he is. So how will Joseph use his power? It doesn't take much to imagine the thoughts that might be flashing through his head, does it? In front of me are the people who have ruined my life, who treated me worse than an animal. I could wipe them out with a click of my fingers. Can Joseph save his family? It's not really a question of ability, is it? He could give them grain. It's more a question of desire. Does he want to save his family? First, it looks like the answer is no. He speaks harshly to them, verse 7. And then he says, verse 9, you are spies. You've come to see where our land is unprotected. He says it again in verse 12 and in verse 14. You are spies. You are imposters. You're, You're pretending to be one thing, men in desperate need of food, when actually you're something else. You are soldiers coming to attack Egypt. Now, we're going to see in a moment that this calling them spies is all part of a plan. But but on one level, I think he actually means it. Not that they are soldiers spying out the land. No, but he does think that they are imposters. His brothers claim to be part of God's covenant people, that the people who God has chosen through whom to save the world. They are sons of Jacob, who is son of Abraham. The sons of Abraham, they've been circumcised. The sign of the covenant is on their bodies. That They've lived in the land that God has promised them. Outwardly, they look like God's covenant people. But Joseph knows different. He knows that they are liars. He knows that they disdain God and his ways. And so he says to them, with heartfelt passion, I think, you spies, you imposters. Now, we've seen before how Joseph is a brilliant picture of Jesus. Like Joseph, Jesus was sent down all the way down to death. But then he rose again 
And like Joseph, he was exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh, so Jesus is exalted to the right hand of the Father in heaven. And just as Joseph's brothers came before him in his glory, so one day we will come before Jesus in his glory. And the most terrifying words you could hear from Jesus are the words Joseph says to his brothers, you spy, you imposter. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is teaching. And he talks about the day when we will all come before him in his glory. Chapter 7, verse 22 of Matthew. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. You are imposters. It's a terrifying thought, isn't it? To stand before Jesus in his glory and hear him say to you, you spy. You imposter. I never knew you. And and do you know what makes this so uncomfortable? Because some of us here this morning are spies. Some of us are imposters. Sure, outwardly, we, we look like we're followers of Christ. We're at church, been baptized, say the right things. But there is another side. Our heart is elsewhere. Already we're beginning to block out aspects of Jesus' teaching. Already we're thinking, you know, I'm going to slip away from this at some point, maybe after university, maybe when the kids are a bit older, maybe when I get a new job and move town. My heart isn't in this. Some of us are spies. Some of us are imposters. And unless something changes, when we stand before Jesus in his glory, as Joseph's brothers stood before him in his glory, he will say to us, you imposter, I never knew you. Now look, while you're wondering whether that might be you, I want you to know this as well. Jesus will do all that he can to make sure that you stand before him not as a spy or an imposter, but as his brother and as his bride. Let me show you what I mean. Just before Joseph calls his brothers spies, he remembers something, verse 9. Then Joseph remembered his dreams about them. Joseph sees his ten brothers bow down before him and he remembers the dreams he dreamt over 20 years ago. That his brothers and his family would bow before him. And now it's happening. Verse 6, Joseph's brothers bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. But then Joseph knows that these dreams are not yet fulfilled because ten brothers aren't eleven. That was his dream. And ten brothers doesn't include his father. That was his dream. Joseph wants those dreams to be fulfilled. He wants his family with him in Egypt, sharing in his glory. So why doesn't he just rip off his his kind of royal headgear and his flashy robes and say, surprise, it's me. Because if there is going to be true reconciliation and therefore true salvation, 
There needs to be true conviction. Joseph wants his brothers to acknowledge and take responsibility for all that they did in the past. Only then can there be true reconciliation. And with that in mind, Joseph orchestrates everything that happens next so that his brothers will acknowledge their sins of the past. And it's brilliant what he does. He reminds them of their evil. Just as they imprisoned Joseph, so Joseph imprisons them. Verse 14. Joseph said to them, It is just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison. Joseph puts them all in prison. But then he steps it up. He makes it even more like what they did to him. He says, verse 19, If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison, while the rest of you go and take grain back to your families. One brother in prison, while the others walk free, that's what they did to Joseph. And suddenly it dawns on them, verse 21. Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he, Joseph, was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. And I think you know that this kind of conviction, this this heartfelt response, it is not an empty confession because of those details. We saw how distressed he was. Remember how he pleaded for his life. And we didn't listen. They are cut to their hearts. The true horror of what they did, it hits them for the first time. They are convicted and they confess. So here is the thing to grasp. Joseph called his brothers spies and impostors. Because outwardly they looked like people of the covenant, people of God, but they were living a double life. And Joseph does all he can to bring his brothers to their senses, to convict them so that they can be truly reconciled. And Jesus is the same with us. He does not want any of us to stand before him as a spy or an imposter, so he now will do all that he can to convict us of our sin so that we would throw ourselves upon his love and his mercy. Like Joseph's brothers, maybe you have spent years running away from something, from some darkness. But the thing is, it's like playing with a beach ball in the sea. Try and push it under the water and it wants to spring up again. So you have to keep pushing it down. Maybe that's you. For years, you've kept pushing away that sense of guilt over something you have done or said. Maybe you've spent years trying to justify that moment of darkness in the past. Maybe you've done everything you can to distract yourself so you don't have to acknowledge the poison in your heart. Maybe that's why life feels like it's falling apart at the moment. Because Jesus is orchestrating the events of your life to wake you up. 
Maybe that's why Jesus has brought you here this morning, because he wants you to be honest, to be convicted, to turn to him and find forgiveness, to walk in the light, and to stop living like an imposter. And know this, if you do, Jesus will not turn you away. We'll see that in the story of Joseph. But King David knew this as well, because after committing adultery and murder, the Lord brought him to his senses, and he cried out with hope. Psalm 51, verse 17, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Jesus will not turn away a broken and contrite heart. He loves you. And he will do all that he can to convict you of your sins so that he can save you. So that you can stand before him on that day, not as an imposter, but as his brother. God convicts us so that he can save us. Second, God tests us so that he can change us. Now, one thing that keeps going on here as Joseph engages with his brothers, as he tries to kind of reconcile and save the family, he keeps testing them. He sets up these scenarios to see how they're going to react. I think he does it for all kinds of reasons, but this one is key. He wants to change them. Because it's possible, isn't it, to feel convicted about something, to feel ashamed and deeply sad about something you've done, but it does not go any further than that. Nothing actually changes in your life. Is he convicting his brothers is not enough for Joseph. He wants to transform them as well. So he sets up these tests for them. And the first test he gives them, he takes them back to the beginning. You know those, those books when you're younger and at the bottom of the page kind of says, if you think you should run away from the ticking bomb, turn to page 33. If you think you should try and cut the wire on the ticking bomb, turn to page 67. You know, I'm, I'm going to cut the wire. I'm going to be a hero. You go to page 67. All it says in big capital letters, boom, you're no hero. Go back to the beginning and start again. That's what Joseph is doing with his brothers. He's sending them back to the beginning. He's getting them to go back to when they mistreated him. Replaying the scenario. Replaying that event. So just as Joseph was bound before their eyes and taken away to Egypt 20 years earlier, verse 24, Joseph had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. And then they get a shock on their way home. Verse 25, Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. Now think, you see what Joseph has done. The silver they used to pay for the grain, he has put back in their bags. And on the way home, one of the brothers opens the bags, verse 28. My silver has been returned, he said. Here it is in my sack. 
Their hearts sank and they turned to each other, trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us? This is devastating for the brothers. If there is silver in their sacks, it looks like they stole the grain. It looks like they really are spies trying to take advantage of Egypt. But you see how brilliant this is. Joseph has put his brothers in exactly the same position they were in 20 years before. He sets up a test for them. Will they keep the money and lose their brother Simeon to Egypt? That's what they did with Joseph, isn't it? Or will they return the money and free their brother from Egypt? Do you see? Joseph has given his brothers a chance to replay their choice of 20 years earlier with the hope that this time they will choose right. He is testing them so that he can transform them. And Jesus will do a similar thing with us. He does not just want to convict us of our sin. He wants us to grow up. Jesus wants us to become men and women of courage and character who can fight evil and choose good. He will test us in order to transform us. It's very clear. Jesus never tempts us. Okay, he doesn't put thoughts in our heads or desires in our hearts that would lead us astray. No, that kind of temptation That's all of us. (laughs) But he might test us. He might cause us to relive the past. He might lead us down a path that we've been down before and stumbled and fallen. And he might take us along that same path, but this time say to us, you can do it differently. This time you can beat Satan. This time you can choose goodness and obedience and honesty and courage. He tests us in order to transform us. You're at home. No one's around. No one will find out. Your phone is in front of you. The internet is before you. You've been here before many, many times. Last time you chose darkness. What are you going to choose this time? Jesus is saying, my spirit lives in you. You can fight Satan. You can choose purity. You're stressed, you're agitated, you're working from home, and then your wife walks in, or your child walks in, or your housemate. And you turn to them in anger, and you lash out at them. That's what you've done before, many times. Jesus walks you down that path again, and he says, this time... With my spirit in you, you can do it differently. You can choose patience. You can choose grace. You can fight Satan. Jesus will test us. He will lead us along paths that we've been down before, and he will say to us, this time you can do it differently. And the encouragement is ours, isn't it? Because when we walk down that path and we don't stumble and we don't fall, but we choose Christ, the encouragement is ours. 
we realize that with Jesus, we really can change. We really can grow up to be men and women of Christ. God tests us so that he can change us. But finally, when we fall, and at times we will fall, hold on to this. God gives up his son so that he can forgive us. So the brothers make it back to the land of Canaan. They make it back to Jacob, their father, and things don't go very well. It's obvious that Simeon isn't with them. And they try and put this kind of positive spin on it. They don't mention that Simeon is locked up. They just say that he's been invited to stay in Egypt. Or almost as if he's like an honored guest. And then they don't mention anything about being threatened with death. No, they make it sound as though they've negotiated this amazing deal. They say, verse 34, if we bring Benjamin back with us, we can trade wherever we want in Egypt. It's classic kids talking to their parents when they've done something wrong, isn't it? My parents didn't like us playing football in the garden. Dad always had to kind of worry about his grass, about his lawn. At the time, I used to think it's grass. Who cares? But then I got my own lawn, and I turned 40, and suddenly it's the most important thing in the world. I don't know what happens. Anyway, we play football in the garden and inevitably end up smashing some plant pot. And a, and a kind of classic line would be, Mum, you, you know that plant pot you, you didn't really like? I've done you a favour. I've, I've turned it into small pieces for you so that you can just throw it away. That's the brothers with their dad, Jacob. Good news, Dad! Simeon's having an extended holiday in Egypt, and if we take Benjamin back, we can have access to any bit of Egypt that we want. But something happens that shatters the whole story. Verse 35. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Jacob sees them emptying their sacks. And he sees the silver that he gave them to pay for the food. And they still have it. And slowly, for the first time, it dawns on him, this has happened before. Over 20 years ago, his sons returned from the direction of Egypt, minus a brother and with newfound wealth. And here they are again, returning from Egypt, minus a brother and with newfound wealth. 20 years ago, Jacob believed their story that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. He doesn't believe it anymore. Verse uh, verse 36, you have deprived me of my children. You deprived me of Joseph. You've deprived me of Simeon. And so no, you will not take Benjamin to Egypt. Because in Jacob's eyes, Benjamin is his only son. Terrible fathering, but that's how he sees it. Verse 38, my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he is the only one I have left. And that is a problem. It is a huge problem. If Benjamin doesn't return with the brothers to Egypt, then the brothers cannot return to Egypt. Simeon will die in captivity. There will be no reconciliation. There'll be no forgiveness, no salvation for the family. 
And so this chapter ends on a huge cliffhanger. Jacob has lost Joseph. He's lost Simeon. He will not give up his only son, Benjamin. That conviction of sin will come to nothing. That that testing to, to try and be transformed, it will come to nothing. In the New Testament, Jesus tells a parable about another father who graciously reaches out to his people time and time again. He sends one messenger after another. But like Joseph and Simeon are lost, so his messengers are lost. They are killed. And he gets to this cliffhanger. Will the father send anyone else or will he just give up on this people? And Jesus says, Mark chapter 12, verse 6, The father had one left to send, a son whom he loved. And as you hear the parable, you think, don't send the son. Don't send the son. They will kill him. But Jesus goes on. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. Brothers and sisters, here is the gospel. God the father is different to Jacob. He sent his one and only son. He sent his beloved son. He did give him up, knowing that he would be arrested and tortured and crucified. And he gave him up to die my death, to be judged with my judgment. He gave him up so that not only might I be convicted of my sin, but I could be forgiven of my sin. And he gave him up so that when I walk the same path, but stumble more than I stand, I could be forgiven again and again. I heard something on the radio this morning. It was talking about sport and England's defeat by South Africa. And the guy was saying, you know, all the players are going to relive all the moments, all the mistakes they made in that match. And he said, you can't change the past. That's true. None of us can change the past. Our failure to stand with Christ. Our walking as an imposter. But we can be forgiven for the past. The Father has given up his Son so that we might be forgiven. So that true reconciliation, true salvation might happen. Our God convicts us so that he might save us. He tests us so that he can transform us. And he gives up his son so that he can forgive us. He gives up his son so that when I see Jesus in his glory, I can stand before him not as an imposter, but as a brother. I'm going to quiet. I'm going to pray.